Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Van Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Every town has a dark side. Today we head to Elephant Butte in Sierra County, New Mexico, where we check out the multiple crimes of David Parker Ray, a.k.a. the Toy Box Killer. In the state of New Mexico, one can find towns with unusual names such as Elephant Butte, and truth and consequences. But few people know that within these towns there once lived a criminal with an equally unusual moniker, the Toy Box Killer. He was an infamous American kidnapper, torturer, rapist, and suspected serial killer who executed his monstrous crimes right inside his trailer known as a toy box and later referred to as Satan's Den. It was only in March of 1999 that David Parker Ray, 
was exposed and arrested after his last victim succeeded in running away from his captor. Of the allegedly 60 people, mostly women, that he tortured and killed inside his soundproof trailer, only a few lived to share their harrowing experiences. Their stories from hell led to David Parker Ray's conviction, though not for the crime of murder, surprisingly. Hi, I'm Andrew Fitzgerald, and welcome to another episode of Every Town. In this week's podcast, let's go southwest to New Mexico, where the notoriously perverted sexual abuses and slangs of the late David Parker Ray were exposed, shocking the country and the entire world. How did he manage to commit his crimes in a cramped trailer over the course of more than 30 years? thus earning him the grisly nickname, the Toy Box Killer. Let's find out the answers, though I do warn you that the details of this case are extremely disturbing and will be hard to take for many listeners. When David Parker Ray's trailer was examined after his arrest, FBI Virginia's foremost expert in sexually related crimes suggested that David was a criminal sexual sadist. The sexual paraphernalia, tools, and illustrations found inside the trailer indicated so. David's panache for sadomasochism can likely be traced from his adolescent years, He was born to destitute parents Cecil and Nettie Ray on November 6, 1939, in Bellin, New Mexico. They lived with his maternal grandparents on a small rural ranch in Mountain Air, the town where David and his sister were raised. Their father, Cecil, was an alcoholic who was prone to violence and verbally abused his wife, Nettie, and their kids. Worse, Cecil sexually molested David. When David was only 10 years old, Cecil left his family and eventually divorced Nettie. The children were left in the care of their grandparents on the ranch then, and the life of the Ray siblings took a dramatic turn. Their 70-year-old grandfather, Ethan Ray, was a strict disciplinarian and expected his grandkids to follow his rules, otherwise they'd receive physical punishment. David went to Mountain Air High School, where he was bullied for being tall, shy, and awkward around girls, and he had a hard time fitting in. Perhaps as a way of coping, David spent much of his spare time on his own drinking and using drugs. Cecil sporadically visited his children, and during those times he gave David magazines depicting sadomastic pornography. His son's exposure to such materials developed his sexual fantasies of raping, torturing, and even murdering women in sadomasochistic ways. In 
David's desire for kinky sexual gratification didn't remain a secret for long when his sister discovered his collection of erotic photographs of acts of bondage and sadomasochistic drawings. After finishing high school, young David worked as a car mechanic, then enlisted in the army as an auto mechanic. He received an honorable discharge at the end of his enlistment. Nothing much is known about David's marital history, except for the fact that he had four of them, all of which ended in divorce. From 1993 onward, he lived in a community of mobile homes in the quiet town of Elephant Butte. He worked as an armed state park officer and mechanic at Elephant Butte State Park. The skinny, mustached mechanic had a daughter named Glenda Jean Jesse Ray, who stayed with him after he divorced her mother. Apparently living with her father, though, wasn't the best choice for her, as she became an accomplice to her father's gruesome crimes in the following years. However, Jesse wasn't initially complicit in her father's dark schemes. Back in 1986, when she was barely 20 years old, Jesse tried to warn the FBI about her dad's criminal activities. Jesse claimed that her father abducted, tortured, and sold women to buyers in Mexico. But the authorities found her allegations unspecific and lacking detail. So, they didn't act against David then. Perhaps the disappointment and the influence of drugs impaired Jesse's judgment so much that she succumbed to her father's manipulations. She eventually abducted women, drugged and tortured them too. But aside from Jesse, the other great witness of the toy box killer's insanely abominable plans and executions was his toy box itself. It was a trailer like no other, and was hell for David's victims. David Parker Ray's 8 by 25 foot white cargo trailer that sat beside his white and brown mobile home hadn't come cheap. He'd spent around $100,000 soundproofing and equipping his windowless toy box with all the devices and paraphernalia he might need to torture, rape, and kill his captives. The list seemed endless. Whips, hooks, chains, pulleys, clamps, straps, harnesses, leg spreader bars, handcuffs, surgical blades, pliers, numerous sex toys, spiked dildos, video cameras, syringes, detailed diagrams about how to inflict pain, hardcore porn photos, and a homemade electrical generator used for torture. His victims were strapped and tormented atop an obstetrics table, and if it wasn't enough to please him, David placed his victims on wooden contraptions that bent them over and immobilized them while being subjected to rape and even bestiality. David occasionally shared the carnality he derived from his pervasions with his dogs, 
allowing them sexual contact with his helpless victims. Moreover, he mounted a mirror on the ceiling right above the torture table so that his victims could see the inhumane acts being done to them. And on the wall was a white sign in bold red lettering that read, Satan's Den. The sights inside the toy box were more than enough to sow terror in David's captives, but what they heard would have made their fear so palatable that death would seem inevitable. The victims were made to listen to David's recorded audio tape, created on July 23, 1993. The mere introduction could send shivers down anyone's spine. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. The recording that informed the kidnapped woman that she was now a sex slave and she referred to David as master and the woman with him as mistress. She was instructed never to utter a word unless spoken to first and that she would be stripped of her clothing, chained up, fed and cared for like a dog. And the main purpose of her abduction to be the subject of sexual torture and rape thoroughly and repeatedly to be used and abused any time her captives would want to and in any way they wanted to. She was expected to have sex not just with David's friends but with his dogs. Furthermore, she would be subjected to anal penetration with large dildos and laid in various positions that would expose her privates. The abuses weren't only physical, emotional, and sexual. David also wanted his victims to suffer mentally and psychologically. Another part of his tape said, After we get completely through with you, you're going to be drugged up real heavy with a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. They are both hypnotic drugs that will make you extremely susceptible to hypnosis, auto-hypnosis, and hypnotic suggestion. You're going to be kept drugged a couple of days while I play with your mind. By the time I get through brainwashing you, you're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. The tape then warned that resistance and failure to cooperate would lead to the captive's death. What could be more chilling and sickening than this? What else but the actual experiences of some women who had escaped and exposed David Parker Ray as a devil and his cargo trailer turned steel line torture and sex chamber as hell in the middle of nowhere in Elephant Bood, New Mexico. It's believed that David began his killing spree sometime during the mid-1950s. 
He reportedly told his first wife that in his teenage years, he kidnapped a woman, tied her to a tree, tortured her, and then murdered her. That piqued David's insatiable desire for sadomasochism, and it grew to epic proportions when his victim count reached an estimated 60 people based on his journal, which documented the abductions and the testimonies of his accomplices. While working at Elephant Boot State Park, David met Cindy Hendy, and they became romantically involved. Cindy had her own criminal history that involved torturing sex workers, and that made Cindy and David a match made in hell. After decades of searching, he had found his perfect partner in crime. For six years, Cindy was the mistress to David's master, as referred to in the audio tape. The two might have lived happily ever after, torturing numerous victims, were it not for Cynthia Jeremilo. On March 20, 1999, in Albuquerque, 22-year-old sex worker Cynthia was apprehended and handcuffed for solicitation of prostitution by David and Cindy, who pretended to be undercover cops. But instead of bringing her to the police station, of course, Cynthia was taken to the toy box, where she was immediately chained to a bedpost and a metal slave collar clasped around her neck. For three days, she was whipped and struck by a cattle prod, subjected to electric shocks, suffered the pain of medical instruments and dildos inserted into her vagina and rectum, threatened with a gun, hung by the ceiling, drugged and raped repeatedly by David. Equally frightening were David's warnings to her. He told me I was never going to see my family again. He told me he would kill me like the others, Cynthia said. On February 22nd, David thought his captive was too exhausted to cause any trouble, so he removed the handcuffs and shackles, but kept her chained to the wall. Then he went to work, leaving Cynthia under Cindy's watch. That afternoon, Cindy was distracted by a phone call that she carelessly left the keys on a nearby table. For the poor captive... It was her only chance to escape, so she slid and stretched her body to reach the keys. When Cindy noticed Cynthia's attempt to escape, the two women began to wrestle for the keys. During their struggle, David's girlfriend and accomplice hit Cynthia's head with a lamp, but Cynthia wasn't knocked down. In fact, she was able to grab the phone and dial 911, but Cindy fought to take back the mobile device. This is what gave Cynthia the opportunity to snatch an ice pick nearby and stab Cindy in the neck. When the mistress fell on the floor, the captive unlocked her chain and immediately ran for her life, completely naked, covered in blood, 
with the metal slave collar padlocked around her neck still. A witness who spotted Cynthia running down the road that quiet afternoon said she was clearly traumatized. It was quite a shock. She didn't say anything. She didn't make any noise at all. She just looked wild. Cynthia finally sought help from a nearby homeowner who took her in, comforted her, and called the police. Her escape led officials to the toy box and instigated the capture of 59-year-old David and Cindy after they were spotted driving around Elephant Butte. They were charged with kidnapping and aggravated battery, among other charges, and held on a $1 million bail each. Despite the couple's capture, authorities had some concern about Cynthia's credibility. As a confessed prostitute who had solicited David for sex, Cynthia's claim that she was abducted and didn't willingly go to his trailer was difficult to prove. However, when the arrest of David and Cindy hit the news, another one of his victims bravely came forward after a long period of terrified silence. She was Angela Montano. Angela's path into the predatory hands of David Parker Ray started out as a run-of-the-mill errand that ended in unexpected terror. Angela and David were acquaintances, and one day in February of 1999, she dropped by his mobile home to borrow some cake mix. Unknown to the mother of two children, she was seen as delectable prey by David. Angela never got to return home and bake her cake because she was kidnapped, tortured and raped by David and Cindy for three days. The two agreed to let Angela go on the condition that she shouldn't tell anyone what happened to her. Of course, Angela agreed, and she was then drugged by David and Cindy who left her off a highway out in the desert. On February 21st, an off-duty sheriff's deputy was driving north along Interstate 25 when he came across Angela, just outside the town lines of truth or consequences. The deputy offered Angela a ride. Still shaken, she told him about her abduction and rape. For unknown reasons, however, her complaint against David and Cindy was never followed up on. Finally assured of her safety... Angela decided to pursue her case after the two were arrested in March of 99. But the revelations about David and Cindy's evil acts didn't stop there. A 1996 recording of a video showing a woman being tortured by David and Cindy was one of the most shocking pieces of evidence found in the toy box after their arrest. Using the image of the ankle tattoo of the woman in the video, Investigators were able to trace and identify the victim as Kelly Garrett, who was still alive and residing in Colorado. She, too, shared her toy box killer nightmare. Kelly Garrett once lived in Elephant Butte, New Mexico, 
and became friends with David Parker Ray's daughter, Jessie. On July 24, 1996, Kelly got into an ugly fight with her then-husband, so she decided to cool down by going to play pool with friends. One of them was Jessie, but she had a devious plan. She brought Kelly to a bar called Blue Water Saloon and drugged the beer that she was drinking. On the way to the parking lot, Kelly was knocked unconscious by a hard blow from behind. Then she woke up inside David's trailer with a dog collar and leash attached to her neck. For two days, Kelly was drugged, tortured, and raped. At the end of the captivity period, in an apparent attempt to murder Kelly, David slashed her throat open and dumped her on the side of the road near the house of Kelly's in-laws. But Kelly survived and was treated at a local clinic. Sadly, though, neither the police nor Kelly's husband bought her story. In fact, her husband and his family believed Kelly had been cheating on him the night that she was attacked. He soon divorced Kelly, who eventually moved to Colorado with no clear idea of what really had happened to her. An investigation ensued after David and Cindy were captured in March of 99, with the authorities uncovering numerous sinister details. Cindy identified David's two other accomplices, his daughter Jessie and a certain Dennis Yancey. Dennis revealed that his ex-girlfriend, Marie Parker, was kidnapped by the father and daughter duo. When David was done torturing and sexually abusing Marie, he ordered Dennis to strangle Marie to death and threatened to kill him if he told anyone about the crime. Marie's remains were never found, but it didn't stop the court from convicting Dennis of second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder in 1999. He was sentenced to two 15-year terms, while Jesse was sentenced to two and a half years in prison, with an additional five years to be served on probation for kidnapping charges. In 2000, Cindy went to the plea bargain and testified against Ray, received a sentence of 36 years for kidnapping and torture. She served only half of that because legislation at the time allowed for early release. The law was amended just three months after Cindy was sentenced and rewritten to require criminals to serve 85% of their sentencing. She was scheduled to receive parole in 2017, but was released on July 15, 2019, after serving the two years of her parole in prison. Because Cindy wasn't released on parole, she is under no stipulation to answer to the state and is not required to tell officials where she's living or what she's been up to. As for the toy box killer himself, A decision was made for three separate trials, one for each attack David perpetrated against Cynthia Jaramillo, Angela Montano, and Kelly Garrett. 
David's first trial for his crimes against Cynthia ended in a mistrial. But during the retrial, he was convicted of all 12 counts of the charges he faced. Unfortunately, Angela died before her trial commenced, so there was no conviction. In his second trial in 2001, David cut a deal with prosecutors to keep his daughter out of prison for her role in drugging and torturing his victims. Under that plea agreement, he was sentenced to 224 years in jail. During the sentencing, Kelly and Cynthia were holding hands inside the courtroom. Both toy box survivors wanted David to stay in prison for the rest of his life and suffer the way he made them suffer as his victims. Cynthia declared, I bear scars outside and inside that will never heal. No punishment is equal to the agony I had suffered. Kelly called David a sick pervert whom she hoped would be controlled and used inside the prison in the same manner that he had abused his victims. The deceased Angela was represented in court by her mother, who had forgiven David, but would never forget his crimes. Cynthia's grandmother was more unforgiving, saying to David, Satan has a place for you. I hope you burn in hell forever. Cynthia's grandmother's wish might have been fulfilled when David Parker Ray died of a heart attack on May 28, 2002, while on his way to an interrogation by state police at Lee County Correctional Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico. He was 62 years old at the time. The case has since gone down as the most infamous in New Mexico's history, and the FBI still believes that more of the toy box killer's victims may still be out there. So that's it for this week's episode of Everytown. Tune in next week for another episode filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories. And who knows, maybe your town will be next. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.